This is episode number 029 of the Reno Slant. Nevada handled UNLV yet again. Now all eyes, all attention, shifting to Logan on Saturday night. Welcome to the Reno Slant, the podcast for Northern Nevada sports fans, where an award-winning sports writer and his Nevada alum brother discuss Nevada football, Nevada basketball, and, well, pretty much everything else Nevada, except for the Loyalist Chicago tournament game. We don't talk about that. Here are your bro hosts, Adam and Nathan Schaub. It was a fun night at Lawler. Nevada handed U-N-L-V, another L. Uh, Nick Vizikas getting his number retired. The stripe out. Once again, another beat down. So Adam and I are going to break that one down. Just three regular season games left. Where did the season go? And then our guest this week caught up with Jeff Grammer of the Albuquerque Journal, one of the most prominent Mountain West media members, uh, truthfully, in, t- in terms of credibility, in terms of respect, in, t- in terms of presence. Uh, it was just great to catch up with Jeff. Covers New Mexico, obviously. Really had a, f- a fun and interesting conversation about the state of Mountain West officiating, because that's something that he, <laughs> he, he kind of heads that conversation, at least in the, in the Mountain West. The state of Mountain West basketball in general, betting on Mountain West games. You know we talked about hashtag drink, and then did a deep dive into the current scandal at New Mexico. They have, they have a few issues. So all in all, a, a really interesting conversation with Jeff. I was really glad we were able to get him on this week. And now it's on to, it's not even arguably the biggest game of the season to date. It is the biggest game of the season to date. It's the, the CBS crew was talking about it after the, the UNLV game. Arguably the second biggest game of the entire weekend in the college basketball landscape. Nevada is going to Logan to play Utah State for what will basically be the Mountain West regular season title game. The Spectrum is going to be bouncing. Nevada obviously looking for his first quadrant one win. Utah State looking for a signature victory as it hopes to maybe uh, secure an at-large bid or certainly increase the chances of an at-large bid. So Ab and I will break that one down, preview that one, as, as well as next Tuesday's game at Air Force to play the Princeton offense. So what do we need to remember about those squads, favorite players, keys to wins, and predictions for slants, games of the weekend. Nevada's going to be playing, t- paying attention to the Pac-12 this weekend. We'll certainly explain. We go road tripping with Chad Hartley to Logan and Colorado Springs. So for folks who are going to be fortunate enough to go to Logan or to Colorado Springs either on Saturday or next Tuesday, Chad's got some recommendations for you. Nevada baseball, the hot start continued Last weekend, they went to Long Beach State and had a really impressive weekend. Social, got some more really good questions from you guys. And then, as always, we're going to get out of here on Random Reno. Our iTunes five-star review of the week comes from Casper the Ghost. We were shut out. Uh, pot swells back to $2 next week. So if you're listening on iTunes right now, make sure you scroll down to write a review. Leave us a quick review. You'll be in the running for the iTunes five-star review of the week. Those reviews mean a ton to us. We read all of those. And for those who I get fairly frequently, someone will reach out and say, you know, what can we do to help out? And I say, leave a review on iTunes. It's one of, one of the best things you can do to help us out. And we would certainly appreciate it. You know, we're going to get to the UNLV game here in a second. Uh, but bro, how long until St. Patrick's Day? You counting down? I do not have my countdown, but I'm ready to go. 
but I'm always ready. That's two, my mentality. Two and a half weeks, we're down to. We're both going to rock our, our Tipsy Elves stuff. Got our shirts last week. You got the – which ones did you get? The Beer Me shirt and the – I got Beer Me and one that was very applicable in college. It says, text everyone. It says, whiskey's saying that. <laughs> uh, just some awesome shirts from Tipsy Elves. So if you don't have anything to wear for, for St. Patrick's Day, make sure you check out tipsyelves.com. I'm going to be rocking out the Leprechaun Sketch t-shirt. It's absolutely hilarious. As I've said uh, last week, I'm going to be in Chicago for St. Patrick's Day, and I fully intend on having one of the best shirts in all of Chicago. Make sure you get yours and any other hilarious t-shirts, tanks, suits, accessories for men and women at tipsyelves.com. And exclusive for our listeners, use promo code SLANT20 for 20% off at checkout. That's SLANT20 at tipsyelves.com for 20% off. So it was never really in doubt tonight. Nevada handles UNLV 89-73. Nevada moves to 26-2, 13-2 in the Mountain West. Remains a half game in front of U- Utah State, I should say. UNLV drops to 15-13, and 9-7, and, and once again proved that it cannot be anyone worth anyone in the Mountain West. They, they are good at punching down. They're not so good at punching up. Bro, what is the first thing that you uh, took away from tonight? Nevada backed my take. I said that that ESPN matchup predictor needed to be higher. <laughs> I saw it got posted on an Instagram account. I said UNLV has no chance. They were down at, what, 18 and a half or something like that. Uh, just watching that game, UNLV did. I mean, once Nevada went on that 12-4 run in the first half, um, I mean, early in the first half, they went on a 12-4 run. And it was pretty nice. But ever since that point, UNLV really – yeah, I mean, they were never really able to claw their way back in. Nevada, pretty, I mean, they think they got within nine a couple times or something like that. But mm-hmm. Nevada pretty much kept them out of reach the entire game. Brutal backdoor cover, too. Or great backdoor <laughs> cover, depending on who you bet on. Depends on who who you had it on. I, te- I texted my buddy. He t- asked me earlier today. He goes, hey, who you like? Nevada se- you know, spread 17 this morning. And I texted him, and I said, I kind of like UNLV plus 17. So, <laughs> yeah, that's a, that, that's a bad beat. For sure, oh, on the garbage time <laughs> possession, they get a bucket to cover. <laughs> uh, my, my first thing, I'll stay, I'll go to the stands first. Uh, shout out to the fans. Shout out to everyone that made the trip. Uh, these weekday 8 p.m. tips are brutal. They're just tough. I mean, it's quarter after 10 and we're recording here. So folks aren't going to be getting home till 1030, 1045 on a weeknight. That's tough. 11,289 show up. I think Chris Murray said it was the eighth biggest crowd in Lawler, uh, history. The stripe out looked incredibly sharp. Look, looked really sick. And then obviously it was a special night for Nick Fazekas and his family to see 22 go up in the rafters forever. And it was just a cool night for, for Reno, for, for the community. Reno now or Nevada has drawn over 151,000, just shy of 152,000 for the season. That set the attendance record for a single season, and there's still another home game left. It certainly helps that it's UNLV. Again, though, these 8 p.m. weeknight tips are, are tough. So shout out to everyone who went. Shout out to everyone who wore the colors and participated in the stripe out because it really did look awesome. And it was tonight was really just a kind of a fun night, a fun celebration of of this program right now and where it's at. 
Yeah, when they always do events and promos like that, it always has that slim chance of just going very poorly, especially like when you're doing it that, um, you know, set up that well. It's like mm-hmm. there's always that slim chance that there's going to be a section that doesn't play by the rules or, you know, a group of red that messes it up. But, yeah, I, I agree. That was actually my second point was I was going to mention that as well, that it looked really well and it was executed arguably to perfection. Yeah, the, the the marketing team at Nevada certainly deserves a ton of credit. I don't think a lot of people realize how much work actually goes into that to make it happen and to market it and to get that sort of participation. Yeah, you throw this the shirts on the seats. We got people actually got to put it on. People got to buy into it, and you got to promote it. And I thought marketing obviously did a great job of that, and it showed. I, I just thought Lawler looked really sharp tonight. Um, going on to the court. The offense was back to elite form. It was awesome to see. Helps just playing UNLV. I mean, Nevada just owns UNLV at this point. Uh, Nevada shot 53% from the field, 48% from deep. Ball was moving around. 20 assists on 32 buckets. The concern would be rebounding, though. Uh, we really saw it in the second half. UNLV out-rebounded Nevada 40-28, to and a lot of those were on the offensive end for UNLV. 19 offensive rebounds for 23 second chance points. UNLV had that many second chance points, that many offensive rebounds, and they still lost by 16. Imagine if Nevada does a better job rebounding the basketball, how gross this really could have been. Um, so a, a lot of positives, a lot to celebrate. That would be the one concern from tonight. We've seen that now in a few games where Nevada has a tough time on the glass. I think really though, the positives would be how good the offense looked. Caleb, Cody, and Jordan. Had 67 points. The big three did. UNLV finished with 73. But those three alone uh, almost beat UNLV. Well, we're, we were pretty much on sync tonight because that was I had those three names written as my last points. Yeah. Was it? That's what you'd want from those seniors, the guys who have played UNLV multiple times, have been here for a while, and they honestly, I mean, especially in front of the home crowd too, it was just a great way to end it. I mean, yeah, you get the weird case, maybe they play in the tournament, but for the regular season. That's just a great way for that group, those three guys, to you know end their Nevada career against UNLV. Well, hopefully they'll get to play them again. So I mean, UNLV looks like it's in a pretty good spot for the five seed. They'll play. They'll be in the five four game if they can get out of that. Nevada hopefully is going to be the one seed, and you get a chance to play them again because Nevada certainly has UNLV's number. You know, UNLV will get up for that. It's at their home stadium. You have the home fans. Um, I'm always. I say I'm down for another smacking. I don't. I don't think this group is is it would be too worried about seeing UNLV in, in the bracket. We mentioned the big three. Cody especially deserves a shout out for for his offensive performance tonight. I think it was eight of the first thirteen points he scored tonight for Nevada. Season high twenty three points. Career high four three pointers. Was four of six from deep. Eight assists to only one turnover. And had an absolutely soul erasing block late. Um, that, that's as good of a game as we, as we've seen Cody play on the offensive end in a Nevada uniform. And, uh, that, that was certainly fun to see. FUNLV. <laughs> it, was, it was good to see the guys too look good. I mean, must have talked at length about, uh, those guys battling injuries and it was kind of an off week for him. He gave him a lot of rest and you didn't. There was some speculation that maybe Caleb doesn't go. I don't think anyone who follows this team really thought that Caleb was going to miss a home game against UNLV. <laughs> he, he yeah, there's gonna, no, there's no, no chance of that. He was, he was going to be on the court. He, he was going to make it happen, but it was, it was good to see those guys not only play, but, but play really well, uh, for certain. 
All right. Uh, let's kick it now to our conversation with Jeff Grammer of the Albuquerque Journal, one of the most known, one of the most respected media members in the entire Mountain West. Was really glad we were able to catch up with him. Some awesome, awesome stuff from Jeff. And here's that conversation. Jeff, we're, we're thrilled to have you on, my man. Uh, I found it interesting to learn that as we were going back and forth getting this scheduled, you've only been on a couple podcasts, but one of them was this week. Yeah, it's a kind of when it rains, it pours kind of deal. But yeah, I'm not a I'm not a regular guest on podcasts, but uh, this week I happen to be a guest on two of them. <laughs> Big week for you, yeah. You get, getting your audition tape out there. <laughs> I've arrived <laughs> for sure. Uh, so, so, Jeff. You really are one of the most prominent Mountain West media members. What would you say is working for you right now? For many people who are listening who want to maybe be the next Jeff Grammer, what are you doing that's working? I would say anybody that wants to be the next Jeff Grammer has problems, but <laughs> I, uh, I mean, aim much higher. But I, look, look, there, there's some really kind of basic inherent um, advantages I have in what I'm doing, and that's that I work in a in a city at, at a newspaper in a city where one sport really just demands from our readership the the kind of attention I'm I'm able to give it and that that's um or that I'm hired to give it uh mm-hmm. that's love of basketball uh, a lot of a lot of places around the country it's it's football it's a college football team that might have that in a college town um in Albuquerque though for years it's been Lobo basketball so the one i guess the the luckiest Sports writer in the state is the guy who has that Lobo basketball beat in the state, and I happen to be the the lucky guy right now in New Mexico that has that because every day during the season, I'm I'm asked to write about Lobo basketball, and I rarely in season off season's different, but in yeah. season I'm rarely asked to hey go pick up that uh we, you know we need some help on this high school game or or we need help editing tonight and so come in and do a desk shift or something like that in season they pretty much you know just let me loose on on Lobo basketball all the time so so that's that's an advantage I have that a lot of other places don't a lot of other newspapers around the league have reporters that have to focus on other things right. I didn't have to worry about signing day for football or anything like that I just do Lobo basketball during the season so that's one main advantage that uh just being where I am being in Albuquerque gives me yeah. well, why do you think that Albuquerque has such a love affair with the basketball program and maybe not as much with, with football because that's pretty much the inverse yeah. from where it is pretty much anywhere in the country yeah, it's one of the few places left that actually makes a profit off of um, its men's basketball team and not off of its football team. There's there's only a handful of those. I think Kansas – you can even argue Kansas doesn't because the Big 12's TV contract is so high for football right. specifically that you could kind of even twist those numbers a little bit. There's really – on you can count on one hand the places left that are making money off of basketball and not football and um, or at least making as much if you just compare the two. So – UNM is one of those places. The the history of it is this, I think. The pit, uh, it's a venue that they dug 37 feet into the ground. They basically built the roof first and then started digging dirt out of the earth here mm-hmm. and, and made this this arena here, in, and it opened in 1966. So we're 53 seasons in now, 53 years in, and it became this venue that was sort of a, a community – the whole state really loved it and embraced it. And in 1980, while it had a whole lot of really good Lobo teams through the years that the community came out for, and it used to seat more than 18,000 and it quite regularly had 18,000 plus in, in attendance and standing room only, it really became kind of a thing of its own in 1983. And, and this is unique to me. Um, 
from anywhere. It was Jim Valvano's NC State team that beat Phi Slamma Jamma yep. in the 1983 um, NCAA championship game that kind of made the pit. Um, you know, he's running around the pit floor yep. looking for somebody to hug. And that moment made the pit kind of its own character in the college basketball world. Now, it was already kind of starting to build a reputation. That's why it got the NCAA Final Four in the first place. So it was already building a reputation, but that moment kind of made the pit its own thing. And what people don't, I think, realize about New Mexico basketball, well, it's had a lot of good teams. It's had, you know, top 10 ranked teams. It's had some really good, it's had had All-Americans and stuff like that. It's never been to the Sweet 16. So this is a program that hasn't had the postseason success that you would think of as one of those big basketball tradition kind of powerhouse type of programs. So this is a program built on its fans showing up to an arena and supporting a team that hasn't exactly returned the favor yet and hasn't even got to the Sweet 16 yet. So I think that's the uniqueness of this place is that Lobo basketball has an ownership from the fans that a lot of places don't. A lot Mm -hmm. of places have fans that are passionate but very few have them really feel like this program is because of us. Not because of you guys, but because of us. <laughs> That's pretty fascinating that New Mexico hasn't made it Sweet 16. I think common sense, just with that fan base and everything that is New Mexico basketball, you would just assume. Yeah. No, they've, they've had a couple, you know, three seeds. Uh, as recently as 2013, they were a three seed, lost to Harvard in the first round as a 14 seed. Uh, 2010, they were a three seed, lost in the round of 32. So that they've had their chances, that's for sure. They, they've been the higher seed um, a, n- a number of times, really. Sure. And they've had their chances, but you get to the tournament enough, you just think odds are you're going to get into the Sweet 16. I'll tell you what, like there are some people here in town that aren't all that happy with you know Nevada getting in and, and making the Sweet 16 last year just because – Oh, there's I'm people sure. here, like, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's people here, and it's not it's not anything against Nevada making it. It's it's just more of a man. We've been there how many times, and we haven't been able to make it. So, sure. um, anyway, they, yeah, they, it it surprises I think a lot of people that this is a program that's never been to the Sweet mm-hmm. Sixteen. All right, I, I want to get a little bit more to New Mexico, certainly Nevada and the Mountain West in general, but I, I need to ask you about a couple of things first. We'll start with, start with a real heavy hitter. Yeah. Uh, you go head to head picking Mountain West games against the spread w- with your daughter. And I think, yeah. I, I think I saw that you got beat last year. Is that, that's right? Did she tell you this? She put you up to this? <laughs> sources. Sources, <laughs> sources tell me. What uh, did- yeah. So, so here's the deal. My, my daughter's nine now, but last year she was eight. And look, I, I, I do pick games against the point spread, um, and have for a while and, and just to have a little fun with it, kind of in a, in a, I, I was kind of trying to poke fun at the idea that, any of us have an idea what's really going on because right. I follow the league and and I don't really know from game to game what's going on. But I, I said, you know, why don't I just have my daughter pick some games? And, you know, she she I could have just asked her, hey, who's going to win between these two teams? But instead, I just said, hey, why don't you flip a coin? So last year um, from the beginning of the season, I really thought it was something that might fade away after about a month because yeah. – Assume if, if a coin flip is going to be about a 50 50 proposition. And what I, our setup is, I'll, I'll let people behind the curtains a little bit. If she, she flips heads, it'll be whoever the home team is, whatever their line is, whatever okay. their point spread is. She, she's taking that team. If it's tails, it's the visitor, but it's with the line though. It's not just who's going to win. Right. It is with the line, whatever their number is. And so last year, about a month in, she was beating me. And we're like, Oh, that's cute. <laughs> um, <laughs> About two months into a two and a half month season, she's you know she's still beating me, and yeah, by the end of the season though, the it, it really and I post all these picks before the games start so right. everybody saw them, and uh, people 
were not only just sort of starting to pick up on it and, and kind of root for her, but man, it, it became a thing last year. It really did. It became a, a hashtag team coin, people rooting for her, her talking <laughs> trash to me, um, not knowing why, but just knew she was beating, beating her dad and she loved it. So, uh, it, it became a real thing. And by the end of the year, she had clinched before I went to the, the final game of the season. And I actually took a picture of her cutting down the net from our little Nerf hoop that we have hanging up on our closet <laughs> and uh, tweeted it out when she clinched the regular season title. But yeah, my, my then eight year old daughter beat me at picking games last year in the Mountain West. A guy who actually, I, I got done saying a few minutes ago how much I get to, you know, just dive in and spend all this time following this league. Yeah, I don't know anything. <laughs> no, no one does. And I, I think I saw on Saturday though, you do have an edge, right? Yeah. I, and I, if you think I'm above talking trash to my nine-year-old daughter that I'm beating her this year, I, uh, I let her know every time I come home, if, if it's a late game or anything, I wake her up at midnight. I'm like, haha, I got you again. And she's like, what, what are you talking about, dad? So, okay. That may not really happen. I don't want people really thinking that happens, but, um, no, I, uh, I, I am beating her this year. The coin flip has come back to reality mm-hmm. and, uh, it's, it's not out of, out of reach though. She can still catch me. Uh, there's still a lot of basketball we played here. Uh, uh, another fun thing you, you do on Twitter. I mean, you, you pretty much have branded hashtag drink now for <laughs> any time a Mountain West official goes to the monitor for a replay. Uh, yeah. at, at what point are you going to really brand that thing and start selling t-shirts or something? I, well, if I can make some money off it now, I'll do it. And, you know, I've told people this before. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm proud that if I leave anything behind as, as, as a legacy, if I do anything with, um, with this whole thing, it's that I might have started a drinking game for Mountain West basketball. And, uh, the, the history of it is just, I, I thought it was silly a couple of years ago when I noticed the same few referees in the Mountain West finding their way to the monitor more and more, yeah. especially in televised games. So, I uh, I just started having some fun with it. Instead of getting really mad and upset about it, I just hey, let's make it a drinking game. You know, hashtag drink and 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 take a picture of them at the video, at the monitor. And uh, it is something that has picked up. Um, fans often now tweet me their drink pictures when a referee standing in front of a monitor, and uh, <laughs> we have a little fun with it that way. But also, I mean, coaches around the league know about it. Referees around the league, I know know about it. There, there is one ref. I, I'll tell you this. My goal. Is I have got to get Dave Hall. I would say Dave Dave Hall's got to say something about it. (laughs) Yeah, I've never once talked to Dave Hall about it. I've never once talked to Dave Hall. I have, uh, I've talked with, I think just about all the other referees, at least a hello. They've seen me enough at enough games and I see them at games. I've said at least a hello to, I think, pretty much all the referees in the league at at this point. And I talk with some of them and I know Bobby Dibler, that the head of the, the officials, um, I speak with him when I see him at games. We, we, you know, have a good five minute conversation or 10 minute conversation catching up and stuff. Sure. And, uh, I, I know these guys and they're, I know they're all aware of the drink thing, but, uh, David Hall is one guy I've not yet spoken with and I don't think he's really happy with, with what I do. Um, but I, I will say this. I don't think he's a horrible official. I'm not actually on that, that, that surprises people. I don't right. think he's horrible, but I think he, he finds a way to, to find some airtime as a referee a little more than I would like. And that a lot of that has to do with this, uh, the drink game and the, sure. the video reviews. Sure. And, and the, I mean, the drink thing, you're really speaking to a lot and you kind of mentioned that they're, they're going to the monitor too much and it's just a part of basketball. People are going to knock the refs. They're going to get mad about this. They're going to yeah. get mad about that. Generally speaking, what are your thoughts on Mountain West officiating? Cause Nevada fans the last couple games are livid right now. 
Sure, sure they are. Um, and, and I can tell you fans here in Albuquerque have never, it, it, it's, it's, I don't know what the number is now. It might be about 700 or 800 games in a row that they've been screwed by the officials. So, um, it's a pretty good streak <laughs> that Albuquerque has. And if you ask the fans, so there, right. there's nobody in this league that likes Mountain West officials. I, I'll tell you, and I'll, I'll be totally honest with you. I, even though I give them a hard time, I don't think they're as bad as as the fans think. I guess that's a really obvious statement. Most fans really hate the officials. Right. Um, one thing I do think that the the officials out west, especially, seem to seem to do is about this time of the year. They're they're also working on a pulled hamstring here, or maybe a, a you know a couple jet lag flights <laughs> sure. there. I mean, David Hall works five games a week, maybe six games a week, and he's flying all the to all these games out west. Back east, if you're that same guy, if you're the same workaholic referee like David Hall is, mm-hmm. you can do a bus rider. You can do a couple games within an hour's drive. He's he's flying, you know, from Denver, then driving down to Colorado Springs for an Air Force game on a Tuesday, and then he's driving back to Denver, flying from Denver to, to Fresno to cover the Wednesday night Fresno State game, and then on Thursday he might be covering a West Coast Conference game somewhere else. He's flying all over the West to, to get all his games in, and it, it wears on them. I, I really sure. do think later in the year, unfortunately, when the game's – seem to mean a little bit more. I, I get every game means the same, and within a game, every possession should technically matter the same. Um, but these games seem to mean a little more, and I think the, the officials, just like the players, are starting to wear down a little bit. And I do think that you start to see a few more mistakes and maybe a few more uh, um, officials that don't put up with, with head coaches quite as much this right. time of year. And uh might be a little different than how they officiate games in January. But that said, I, I actually don't think the officiating in the Mountain West is nearly as bad as people would assume, I think. That the referees traveling, that's a good point, because that's something you hear no one talk about ever. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it, it it's amazing. Like I I really do want to at some point just track the miles of, of a David Hall because he's one of the busiest referees. Yeah. Some some officials do two or three games a week. Um, you're, you're thinking about these teams that are doing sometimes two games in a week, but usually it's a home game and a road game. So they're not doing nearly as much traveling as the officials. The officials, right. every game's a road game for them. They're actually traveling five, six trips a week sometimes. And, uh, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of crazy to think they are the ones determining these games because, uh, <laughs> a delayed flight here, delayed flight there, they're sometimes showing up to the arena 30 minutes before a game. Right. That's wild. So the the school that you cover has had an interesting past year, couple years. Yeah, I mean, I'd say so. <laughs> off the court, away from the field, behind behind the curtains, and and now we're really starting to the stuff starting to come to the light with uh, former AD Paul Krebs. Right. There's this trip to Scotland for fundraising, and he paid for a trip for fundraisers with school money, yep. and now he's facing. I think I saw 15 years with multiple felony charges. I mean, I, what do you make of everything that's happening right now from a legal situation? Sure. It's, uh, something I never thought would come to this point where, where the athletic director is actually charged now with felony, felony counts and he does face technically up to 15 years. I, I, I find it hard, really hard to believe that he'll ever see a day in jail, even if he gets convicted. That's just not exactly how first time offenses, especially on white collar crimes work. It doesn't mean that's not what some people want to see happen, but I, I, I don't think he'll ever see a day in jail, um, even if convicted. But for, for the really quick kind of Cliff Notes version of the rundown of, of why he's facing charges now, um, first off, the, the bigger picture is for eight or, yeah, for eight of the 10 years he was athletic director, um, the, the athletic department turned in a deficit. They, they were operating in the red. They didn't balance their budget. 
not a big deal at a lot of places. That kind of stuff does sort of happen everywhere. But mm-hmm. in New Mexico, that was running out of money and, and couldn't keep giving more student fees and couldn't keep giving more state money to the program, they were told, look, balance your budget. It's time. Okay. That's been enough. It's yeah. enough. And then it kept, it kept being a deficit. So with that as the backdrop in, in 2015, he had a fundraising trip to Scotland for, for a bunch of boosters himself and a bunch of boosters. He paid his way. Craig Neal, the former coach went and the head of the Lobo club, which is the fundraising arm for Lobo athletics. They all went on, on the company dime, which is okay, except they used the, the money they used came from the athletic department instead of from this organization called the UNM Foundation, which is sort of the the overall um, fundraising arm of the university. That was a problem, but but the mistake was a mistake. It wasn't like anything really bad was going to happen with that. But then what was uncovered through emails and through through reporting, there's a local TV reporter here, myself, and then there's a, a watchdog kind of blogger named Daniel Libet, who has been doing some great work breaking a lot of these stories too. We all started kind of turning up the heat on this story and we found out that they also used $25,000 of, of taxpayer money to pay for the trips of three boosters. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem with that is in the state constitution, there's an anti-donation clause. You cannot use taxpayer money for for essentially private citizens to, to go on trips to Scotland to play golf and, and sure. to do things like that. So then you're talking into – now you're looking at some, a crime might have been committed. So while they start looking into that crime possibly being committed, the classic cover-up was worse than the crimes – yeah, is sort of the realm we're in now. Paul Krebs wrote a check for twenty five thousand um, dollars, but he he signed it as anonymous. Yeah, he did not want it tracked to him. He used his wife's credit card at one point to pay for it. Uh, police found out then they they the way they did it was just a, in a very very much a cover up kind of way. And and I say all these things I, I I'm saying them as fact because these aren't necessarily things he's denying. Yeah, he just doesn't think he and his attorneys don't think these are. These rise to the level of any kind of crime. Um, mm. but he admits that he had committed, um, an error in judgment is, is what he had told the school president at the time when he let those guys go on the company dime. And that's why he felt it was his, in his best interest to go ahead and write a check for $25,000. Yeah. I wish I had that capability. I can't even do that if I wanted to, <laughs> but, um, he tried Basically, now we're at the point where the attorney general thinks he tried to cover it up. There are some tax implications because because he wrote the check to the UNM Foundation, the fundraising arm. There might have been some tax breaks he got. You can't get tax breaks on a crime you're trying to co- cover up. Right. So, so now we got some tax issues. We got some fraud charges. We got some money laundering charges, and uh, that's where we're at now. Is the former athletic director is is uh, basically being charged with with all of that in relation to a 2015 golf fundraising right. junket to Scotland. Wow. And, and what, what was your relationship like, like with Kresna? I, I don't know how much you, you, I'm sure you got to know him a little bit. I mean, was this sure. a huge shock to you? I mean, what, what was your general thoughts getting to know him? It, it absolutely was a shock to me. Um, shock, not so much in that it happened. It, it's a shock that we're at where we are now. Yeah. Um, as it started kind of coming out, it, I guess it, it was such a slow process of, of what was coming out that I guess I wasn't overly shocked by it by the end of it. But, um, I, I knew Paul. I know Paul well. I knew his wife, Marjorie. She's an employee at UNM still. Um, and through the process, there were a lot of delete this emails and, and commands to people that worked for him and communication he had with his wife to, to hate delete these emails because in the state of New Mexico, all emails on a public um, employee's 
email server like they are as, as employees of the University of New Mexico, they're all public record. And mm-hmm. so he was telling people to delete emails and stuff like that. I, the more and more I found out about that kind of stuff, I was a little bit surprised. I know they weren't ever the most transparent athletic department at UNM. Yeah. Um, and I don't think a lot of athletic departments in general are. So I, I guess I wasn't overly surprised that they weren't all that transparent, but then mm-hmm. the, to the lengths he went to, to, to actually delete some of this stuff, I was a little surprised. Um, but I, I mean, look, I, I, there are some Lobo fans that think he's the worst person ever, that he destroyed this athletic department. There are others who did business with him that might've been season ticket holders that knew him a lot better that, that yeah. like him. And he's sort of being made um, an unfair example of to sort of blame, put all the blame of the past several years of UNM athletic struggles on him. I'm I'm kind of in between. I mean, I just cover the guy, but yeah. I, I don't think he's a bad person. I don't think he ever did anything thinking he was committing a crime. That doesn't mean it wasn't a crime, but I don't think he was ever doing anything thinking, wow, I'm going to get away with this one. Right. Well, you, you mentioned that you were one of the people, I mean, you're pretty instrumental in kind of uncovering this story. As you mentioned, it was kind of a drip, drip, drip. There wasn't really one bombshell. This thing kind of came out right. slowly. What's your relationship now with the school? Because that, I'll, I'll, that's... That's journalism one on one. That that's a delicate balance. Sure, it is, and it's a it's a unique situation because I think the, the guy I mentioned earlier, Daniel Libet, he's he's a big proponent um, of college athletic departments everywhere getting covered like a government entity. And mm-hmm. when when we talk about covering the Department of Transportation or some other entity within the government, we we have a news desk that has reporters digging into stuff and looking at records and contracts and emails and all these things. But when it comes to college athletics, the primary source of coverage and the primary way we tackle covering them has always been about the game coverage, maybe some coaching contracts, maybe right. looking at some school budgets and stuff. But but it's not getting dug into like like this this story kind of evolved because it started getting dug into like that. Right. And the beat writers can't really do that for a couple of reasons. First of all, there is the question about how much a beat writer like myself might have to do during the season. I have to write player preview or game previews, game stories, player profiles. I'm just covering the team for the entertainment value of fans and readers that want to follow the teams. How is the team doing? Who's that recruit? How's the coach doing? How's the league doing? All that stuff is a busy enough job during the season. Mm-hmm. I think that the other question is, and, and this is one I I might be a little different than most on, is it is tough for a beat writer to basically be – digging for that story on, hey, athletic director, I think you might have done something illegal here. I'm going to dig in, dig and dig and dig until I get that story. Oh, and by the way, now that I'm done asking the question on that, can you tell me something about the game coming up? That That's a tough balance. Yeah. You know, it's hard for a writer to to go to a press conference to cover the upcoming, you know, Nevada's coming to town and they're a top 10 team. They're coming to the pit. Let's talk about that. And when we're done with that, can I have five minutes to talk to you about the crime I'm trying to uncover that you committed? So, <laughs> so those kind of things don't really happen very well for beat writers, but I do think it's something that if you have to pick or choose – the, the beat writer still needs to do those when he when he can. I think yeah. it is – I don't like the idea of always handing off an athletic story when it becomes um, important or when it becomes like serious. And I think that's right. something that maybe journalists do at newspapers and TV stations and everywhere. Um, look, if it, if it becomes a really meaty news story, a lot of TV stations hand it off to a news reporter. Or, or in our case at a newspaper, we might hand it off to a news reporter that uh, isn't ever covering the games. I, I have been – 
more of a proponent of trying to do it myself because I'm the guy paid to cover Lobo basketball. If, if yeah. I need to, if something comes up on my beat, I'm, I'm going to cover it. And if that ruins my relationship with the coach, so be it. And uh knock on wood so far, it hasn't, that doesn't mean I've ever had a great relationship with UNM. I, right. I don't think I do. Um, there are a lot of people there that really dislike me and are upset with me. And uh the, the previous coach certainly, wore his emotions on, on his sleeve and at press conferences often, mm-hmm. you know, made it clear he wasn't happy with what I was asking. So, um, that kind of stuff happens. Um, yes, it I does. will say, I will say he and I, uh, Craig Neal, the previous coach spoke plenty after press conferences and before and, and all that kind of stuff. I don't think the relationship was as bad as it appeared during press conferences, mm-hmm. but, uh, uh, the last thing I'll say on this, I think, I would in a, like I would not want to be a coach that after every game I see the same face, the local beat writer. Yep. <laughs> if I was a local coach, I'd see Jeff Grammer's face after every game, win or lose. And Jeff Grammer, like, yes, I get it. I just lost by twenty. I just lost a horrible game. And Jeff Grammer walks up to me and says, Hey, tell me about that worst moment on the job you just had in front of all these people. I now need you to to give me a quote about it. I would be so sick of me too. So like I I get that relationship and that dynamic, mm-hmm. but uh from my standpoint, hey, it's it is my job. I people aren't reading the Albuquerque Journal every day to see what Jeff Grammer thinks all the time. They want to hear the the analysis from the coach. They want to know that I asked the coach why wouldn't you quit right. pressing when it wasn't working and those kind of things. Yep, it's 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 the job to ask what what the fans would ask, and it's not always yeah. going to be popular. <laughs> people are being asked the question. So right. if, if we if we go on to the court now. Earlier in the year, it was a really disappointing or really awesome, depending on where you're listening to this podcast from. <laughs> um, but, but Nevada goes to Albuquerque and gets its butt kicked. I mean, absolutely, absolutely got thrashed. I mean, what was the reaction in Albuquerque to that? Um, interesting because I, I think a lot, first of all, I mean, they, they rushed the court and, and I, I tweeted this about a week ago. If you would have told me in 2013, when the Mountain West had five of its nine teams go to the NCAA tournament, that was the year that the UNM Lobos won the league by two games in the regular season. Um, that was the year they were the three seed and, and ended up losing to Harvard. But if you would have told me in 2013 that five years from now or six years from now, there are going to be two games in the Mountain West where fans are going to feel the win was so important they should rush the court. And you told me that those games happened at Viejas Arena – with San Diego State and the pit <laughs> in Albuquerque, and that they happened against a Nevada team that then was, uh, you know, whatever losing record they had that year, I can't remember for sure, but they had a losing record. I, I, I just think people would have, no not way, in a million years would have right. believed that. So things have certainly changed, and this was a win that the fans felt um, worthy of rushing the court, which rarely happens in the pit. Mm-hmm. So. On the one hand, it was pretty exciting, and the fans did realize how how big a win it was. But I don't think there were a lot of fans um, that really were right away saying, it turned it around, everything's good now. Yeah. Um, I think they realized this team still had a ways to go, that that night was special in a lot of ways. Whatever happened, however, you know, whatever conspiracy theories or whatever <laughs> sickness in the in the locker room, whatever kind of thing may have happened, whatever contributed to it. Uh, Lobo fans appreciated it. They loved it, but I don't think they thought it was anything more than a one-time kind of special yeah. moment. I think I do think they thought the Lobos would maybe turn things around a little bit, but I don't think they they thought that was you know they were going to win every game from there on, right. then on out. Certainly right. have. Yeah, it it 
kind of became like a hangover thing because they then they lost like six of seven or seven of eight after that. I mean, it got rough after that. What's the fan base's confidence in Paul Weir in his second year? It, it, that's a good question because I think it, it's hard to gauge compared to like past seasons because I think 2019 fan base reaction is is different than even just two or three years ago. I think we're in a, sure. the social media age where everybody not only has to have a quick opinion about everything, but it has to be pretty extreme. There, there's not a lot of um, allowance for people saying, eh, I'm just not sure anymore. So, or, uh, let's wait and see. I think you either have to know that you, you think this coach is going to get it done or, or fire him. It's mm-hmm. either, you know, the best or the worst. So I think there's a lot of fans right now that, that do want Paul Weir fired that, that think, oh, he's just awful. What is he doing out there? We should have never taken the rivals coach because he, he did come from New Mexico state for right. those that don't know. And, um, I, I think there's some of that, but it, if you really take a step back and look at this, in his first year, he took over a program that had two players on the roster when he got here. Now, he ended up convincing a couple who had already announced they were transferring to come back. That includes Sam Logwood, who played last year, and Anthony Mathis, who plays for the team now. Right. Those guys had already been granted their release from scholarship, and he asked them back, and they came back. So he took over a roster with two two players, and they were picked ninth. They finished third last year and got to the championship game of the Mountain West tournament. They were seven minute, they had a lead with seven minutes to go, about seven minutes, seven or eight minutes to go against San Diego State from going to the NCAA tournament. I mean, right. that, that was an improbable year. And now in his second year, he's not yet completed year number two. And there's fans that want him fired because they were picked third in the preseason this year. And right now they're in ninth. Now they do have their four easiest games of the season ahead of them. They still have Wyoming and San Jose State. They have Colorado State coming in the pit and Boise State coming in the pit. They they are actually picked on KenPalm.com. They're actually picked to win the next four games. Right. They haven't won four games in all season, but if they do what they are expected to do, they're actually going to move up to the sixth seed and avoid the half of the bracket where that is. And they're they're if if you told the Anybody, even right now or, or a couple of weeks ago, if you told anybody here in Albuquerque that they'll end up the sixth seed, I think a lot of people wouldn't believe that. So sure. I just don't think there's a lot of patience um, anymore in, in any sport, but especially here in Albuquerque. Yeah. And by and large, I think most people realize, give the coach three years, four years, and, and we'll see how he's doing. Um, most people realize he took over a pretty bad program, and uh, it was a lot messier than I think even the record showed. So I don't think people around the Mountain West realize just sort of the – the hurt feelings and, and bad uh, kind of vibe around the program there was when right. he took over. So he took over a mess. Um, I think he's got it in a better position. And uh, they, they, again, sort of have some players sitting out this year that uh, should make them pretty good next year. Mm-hmm. How many sweaters does he have? We, we were discussing this a couple <laughs> weeks ago. Yeah, I know this answer. I, I know it. Oh, so I love I, it. I, I talked to him uh, just last week in, in Logan when he wore a silver sweater, and, and the the Lobo colors are cherry and silver, so yeah. it's not red and gray. It's cherry and silver, and I I better get that right, otherwise I'll <laughs> I'll be told about it. Yeah. Um, he has he has three cherry sweaters. He has three red sweaters that he wears that okay. he rotates and cleans, and uh, he, he gets them dry cleaned. And he he didn't have um. He didn't have any one of the three ready to go on his trip last week, so he had he took his gray one or his silver one, and uh, that's why at Utah State last week he wore silver for the first time. He's worn red every other time, and the history on the sweater is um, while earlier this year he told some story about Steve Jobs used to wear the same outfit every day just because it took out um, a portion of his day where he had to pick out his clothes and had this really weird sort of story about it. Right. The truth is last year he started wearing the sweater 
because he doesn't eat during the season. He doesn't sleep. He He's a guy that's going to kill himself if he keeps this pace up the, the way he just beats himself up over wins and losses. He, he, he mm-hmm. doesn't do, he doesn't, he's a little manic and he doesn't, yeah. uh, it doesn't work very well when the team's struggling and actually is probably worse when they're winning. So he, he started, he quit eating last year at one point and lost so oh, much wow. weight during the season. And he's already a fairly small guy. Yeah. He lost so much weight that he, he didn't have a suit that fit him anymore. So one game, um, it was, you know, time to head over to the, to, over to the office sure. and they wanted to buy a new suit. So he just didn't want a sweater one game because he really, his suits just look so loose on him. And I think they won. So. That started the trend and, yeah. and he has not looked back since. He's worn a sweater every game since and, uh, he's, he's going to stick with the red sweater, I guess, for a while. And, and, uh, I will say that when he was winning last year, everyone thought it was good around here and everyone liked it. And, uh, this year Different, that they haven't yeah. done as well, they're like, all right, get rid of the sweater already. You look like you work at Target. Like, get out of here, man. So Paul from Target. Yeah, yeah. Paul from Target. And, and then when he wears khakis, he looks like Jake from State Farm. <laughs> What are you wearing, Jake from State Farm? Yeah. Khakis. Uh, so, so New Mexico isn't the only team in the Mountain West this year to underperform. I mean, pretty much everyone outside of Nevada, you can make a case for Air Force, Fresno has been, been pretty strong. If you had to look collectively at the conference and say, okay, this is what's going on, or, or these are some of the issues, what are a couple of things you'd maybe point to? I really think the biggest thing for any non-power in basketball, I call it, I call it power six just because I include the Big East. Yeah. But they're going to face some problems too because what I think the biggest problem in basketball in general right now outside of the power structure is is that the football money is is like it is in football. It's, it's mm-hmm. really starting to, to take over and separate the haves from the have-nots. And while – you, you don't, the, the direct impact of football money, you don't associate with it affecting these basketball programs. Well, of course it does. It starts to trickle down facilities. You know, once you build that new football stadium with all that football money and you have a little bit of leftover money, well, then maybe it finds its way to basketball or facility upgrades there and stuff like that. I just don't think that programs like, like the Mount West that have a bunch of 30 or maybe even $40 million budgets annually can keep up with the programs that have like a hundred or eighty million dollar budgets. And right now what the Mountain West has, has done, and and a lot of people tell you this is the right decision, but I think what the Mountain West has done over the past four or five years is really focused on football. Yeah. I don't think there's a lot of schools. Um I, I think what Musk has done at Nevada, for instance, in the last couple of years where he has secured, you know, some funding and some some investment into basketball is only because of the just wild success that he has had in right. such a short period of time. Right. If you look at the conference as a whole, UNLV is not spending what it did or doesn't have the devotion to basketball like it once did. I mean, Marvin's getting paid, you know, certainly under a million dollars. Um, Steve Fisher, when he left, they took a step back in, in Dutcher in that, in salary and stuff like that. They're mm-hmm. not spending quite as much as they once did at San Diego State. So while a lot of programs around the country are starting to invest more and more, the Mountain West, which which was a pretty had a had a good thing going there for a while, yep. and built up expectations, started struggling. And I think, uh, like at a place like New Mexico, I mean, Craig Neal was getting paid nine hundred fifty thousand dollars a year, and some other things might have got that over a million, but he he was about a million dollars a year, and he got replaced by a guy who got who started last year at six hundred thousand. So they saved four hundred thousand dollars in just one person's salary, and. In that first year, I, I think a lot of programs are, are hitting some financial hard times because they're trying to keep up with football. Right. And I think that's the main thing that's happened. But I also think, I mean, the, the reality is when they expanded 
to 11 teams in basketball, it was because they had Hawaiian football. They needed 12 members for, for a very short window. They needed 12 members to have a conference title game in football. Mm. So that's what the expansion, that's why they wanted to get to 12 teams. Well, you don't need that anymore. So I, I do think San Jose states of the world certainly watered things down. I yep. don't think the Mountain West needs to be a 12 team conference. Um, I, I think it was probably at its best when it was nine. If you just shave off one or two, and I don't even know who the other ones are. I'm not about to suggest yeah. I know who that is, but I, I think part well, of Well, San Jose is, state is one of them. We, we can agree on yeah, that. San Jose state's one, one of them. I don't know who two is, but yeah. I can tell you who one is. And yeah, yeah I mean, San Jose state and, and they started splitting the pie, you know, 12 ways. They started splitting the pie in basketball 11 ways. And that was, that starts to add up when, yep. when you have a year or two of struggles and you don't get that NCAA tournament money. Um, it, it starts to add up and I think that's where we are. It, it also has had a run. If you look at it, it's pretty fascinating when you look at this. Almost everybody in the league is coached by a coach who's on their first job. Brian yeah. Dutcher at San Diego State. Musselman technically is at his first college job. I know he's coached in the NBA and he has right. the experience, but Musselman is the best, has the best team in the league. He's on his first college job. The two teams that played for the Mountain West title game last year, San Diego State and New Mexico, were not only coaches at their first or, or young and early in their careers, but like they were at their, in their first years with their teams. And mm-hmm. I know Paul Weir had one other year at New Mexico State, but he, he was 38 years old coaching his first season at New Mexico playing for a title against Dutcher, who was playing, coaching his first year at San Diego State. You look at San Jose State, first year, first time head coach, Wyoming, first time head coach, Colorado State and Utah State both have young coaches who are on their second jobs. And, um, but Fresno State, first time head coach. I'm, I'm going through the list here. Dave Pilipovich at Air Force, his first head coaching jobs at Air Force. Leon Rice, his first head coaching jobs at Boise. Now he's been there a while, been there a while. but these are, these are all first time head coaches. And it's, it's unique to me that this league was so good and has so many first time head coaches. Well, speaking of coaching, this is a, a perfect transition here. You, you mentioned UNLV, a pretty fun rumor. Last week it was, I, I believe, yeah. that things started circling around. Rick Pitino to, to UNLV. There would not be a more perfect and or hilarious marriage than Rick Pitino and, and Vegas. Uh, Pitino denied the rumors last, last week. Do you, do you think this, this thing has any legs and what would that look like? I, yeah, I do. I mean, I think there's gotta be some legs to it. I just think that it's, um, it's something that's come up before. I think there's a little something to it. I don't think Patino is necessarily working for the job behind the scenes or anything, but when he says I would never take the job because Marvin's my guy, and I know Marvin from his New Mexico mm-hmm. State days. Um, I, I like Marvin. I, I don't pretend to suggest that his three years there have been worth um, keeping him. I, I think right. that I think that he will be around next year, but if they don't, that's fine. Um, that it's been a rough go for him. I get it. Mm-hmm. But I, I, while I don't think Marvin, or I mean, I don't think Patino's necessarily put, or his guys, his agent or whoever is pushing for the job. I think if it comes to the point where it's clear UNLV is going to part ways with Marvin anyway, and it wasn't Patino pushing him out, then I think Rick Patino may come back into play here. I think that if there's any conversations being had, the way the game is played when it comes to coaching is, I just don't want to be the guy pushing him out. But if there is an opening, why don't you call me then? Yeah. And, and it might be kind of one of those deals. So I wouldn't be shocked if Patino comes back into play at some point here. Um, that said, I didn't think UNLV would be in fifth place right now. I mean, they're, they're going to avoid the playing game. Mm-hmm. It's going to be hard to convince me that you fire a coach 
who has improved each of his three years. He's only been there three years, and their record has gotten better in league play anyway all three years. Now, that's because they started as an 11 seed. I mean, right. maybe you got to throw <laughs> that out. I mean, you can't start at the very bottom and then say, well, look how far we've come. Well, it's because you started so bad. But yeah. um, they've improved each of their three years. I I find it hard to believe that they fire him, but, man, the seat can't get any hotter for him next year if he is back. Right. Yeah, I love the people who, who discounted Rick Pitino rumors as soon as Pitino said no. Like, oh, Rick said it, so you know it's real. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> Nick Saban, the, the, yes, I mean, you can go down a list of coaches that have denied the, denied the coaching rumor. It's kind of like the athletic director giving a statement of support that, you know, he's my guy. He's not going to get fired. That pretty much means you better start looking for a new job yep. because <laughs> in, in the world of college athletics, Yep. Sorry, guys. Like, I'm not going to trust you on this one. <laughs> For sure. All right, Jeff. Uh, amazing getting your insights. Uh, what's the best way people can follow your work? Uh, Twitter's probably best, and it's at, okay. at Jeff Grammer, and I do spell my first and last name wrong, so I'll spell it out for you. It's at Jeff, G-E-O-F-F. Grammer is G-R-A-M-M-E-R. And Twitter's the best way to do it, at Jeff Grammer. You can also read us anytime at, at abqjournal.com, and that's where all my stories go. So I'm around on Twitter all the time, though. Awesome. Jeff, thank you so much for your time. Congrats on the success you're having, and uh, we'll see you down here in Vegas in a couple weeks. Yeah, I'll be there, man. I appreciate it. Really appreciate Jeff coming on. Some really great stuff from him, as you guys would expect. Uh, love the hashtag drink story, and then the story about Paul Weir's sweaters I thought was also uh, fascinating because that's something that we've talked about on the podcast. So now Nevada turns its attention to what amounts to the biggest game of the year, not just for Nevada, but for the Mountain West. Nevada at Utah State, tip on Saturday, 5.30 p.m. on CBS Sports, the de facto Mountain West regular season title game. And I know some of you maybe need a new lucky shirt for one of Nevada's last regular season games of the year. And you know that means we're going to send you to Silver and Blue Outfitters. Silver and Blue Outfitters is locally owned and operated by Nevada grad. It is the spot for officially licensed Nevada apparel as we get ready for postseason hoops. I, I can't believe it's already that time of the year. You guys know by now we are huge fans of the throwback options. Those things are sick. They have some new must-bus options. You want it, they got it. Visit either the Meadowood Mall or campus locations or visit silverandblueoutfitters.com. And every month, we're giving away a $100 gift card to Silver and Blue Outfitters. We're drawing the first winner on Instagram Live Thursday night. Super excited about it. If you're listening to this Wednesday night late or early Thursday, all you have to do is swing by one of the two locations, snap a quick selfie inside one of the locations, and then post on either Twitter or Instagram, tag SNB Outfitters and the Reno Slant. Got to be following both accounts, and that's it. You'll, you'll be in the running for a $100 gift card to Silver and Blue Outfitters. So tip on Saturday, as we mentioned, 530 Biggest game of the season to date. Utah State is rolling 23 and 6, 13 and 3. They absolutely waxed San Diego State at home on Tuesday night. Their RPI is at 38. Ken Palm has them at 39. The net, they jump from 37 to 33. So Nevada finally, finally is going to get a quadrant one game. It's been a long time since Nevada's 72-49 win at home on, at Lawler in the Mountain West opener on January 2nd. The 49 points, by the way, in that game, 
a season low for Utah State. They uh, looked pretty good against San Diego State uh, on Tuesday night, and we know how Nevada looked uh, when those two teams played eh, a week and a half ago about. Um, Utah State only one game back of Nevada. So if the Aggies win this one, they're tied for first place atop the Mountain West, as I mentioned. Big, big game on Saturday. What's something you got, bro? Sam Merrill. Not sure how many people remember, but he's their guy. Averaging 35 minutes, 20 points, four boards, and four assists a game. So like you said, they pretty much handled San Diego State. He didn't necessarily have that great of a game. He was 6 of 20 shooting, including 1 of 9 from three-point land. Mm -hmm. So not a percentage you like to see, but he was 6 for 6 from the line. So I'm expecting him to have a nice little bounce back, especially against Nevada. And the way they've been playing, he's going to be ready to show up. Yeah, the concern is that he didn't play that well and they still thump San Diego State. Mm -hmm. That doesn't make me feel warm and fuzzy inside. (laughs) Uh, One of the things I want to say about this one is Nevada's going to be walking into a beehive on Saturday. For those who watched the game on Tuesday night, the spectrum was going berserk. And if you think it was going crazy on Tuesday, it's going to be that and then some on Saturday. Not only is it a weekend game, but now you're playing the 12th ranked team in the country or whatever Nevada's going to be ranked going into that one. But they'll still be 12th. They're going to be playing for first place in, in the Mountain West. They're playing for, at this point now, Utah State believes that they have a legit shot at getting an at-large bid. Uh, it's just going to be absolutely crazy in there. Utah State at home this year, 13-1. and So Nevada's played in some tough environments so far this year. And I don't think it's a stretch to say that Saturday will be the toughest one. Huge Are game. The- they're gonna be they're gonna be given everything the Aggies got. Yeah, for anything sure. in the anything in the Arsenal's coming at them. They also got freshman center Nemias Keda. Keda, yeah, he's a beast. Keda, he is single handedly wrote in the new records for this season for a single block record at Utah State. He is now including the San Diego State game. He has 72 blocks this season, and the previous record was sitting at 59. So not only has he beaten it, he has sprinted past the record. Yeah. And he also has the single game record with six blocks against Fresno. Um, that was on January 9th. So for anybody who can do math or can't do math, it's a lot of blocks. That's us. We, we're not a math podcast. We've established that. <laughs> we continue to stand by that. I saw a stat for him. He has more blocks than 85 teams by himself. <laughs> that is ridiculous. When you hear numbers like that, it's just cr- it's crazy to think that that actually happens. Eighty five percent. That yeah, it's not eighty five percent, but more than eighty five teams. Oh, more than eighty five. There we yeah. go. That's why we're not a math podcast. <laughs> yeah, uh, point proven. Uh, <laughs> Kada is, is part of the reason that this team, yeah, really good at blocking shots, especially him, but really good at defensive rebounding and holding teams to low, low shooting percentages inside the arc. Utah State is plus nine in rebounding margin this year. That's best in the Mountain West. Second in the Mountain West is UNLV at plus 4.7. This Utah State team just gobbles up rebounds. They're the only team in college basketball and only the fourth college basketball team since 2002 when Ken Pump started tracking this stuff to be top five in defensive rebounding percentage and two-point defensive field goal percentage. This team rebounds everything on the defensive end, and in part because Kata, they impact a lot of shots at the rim, and um, they're grabbing those those shots that they're that they're affecting. 
This is this is a defense that's not going to be kind to Nevada in the paint. So they got they're going to figure some things out for certain. That's to put it to put it lightly too. Yeah, no, I mean the one of four teams since 2002 in 17 years. They're one of four to be top five in both. Uh, crazy. Who's your favorite player on the other roster? Clay Stahl, six foot ten, two hundred forty pound center, coming from Chandler, Arizona, and some interesting stats about him because I had to look on their website see if this guy's got anything that intrigued me, I guess. But he missed the majority of his senior year in high school because of an injury. But he also last season only appeared in ten games before missing the rest of the season. So this guy, total weaky, mental midget. He's weaky? got low. Pay- Low pain tolerance. That's why I picked him because he's not going to be a guy that's going to blow us up because he can't handle any pain. I thought you were going to say because you relate to him. Oh, yeah. And you know, sometimes you just naturally like it's those subconscious things. I didn't even think about that. And I was like, you know what? Sometimes I like, sometimes I like to take an off day or an off week, off month, <laughs> off year. Off uh, I'm going, there you go. I'm going with six, eight junior forward. I'm going to butcher this name. And that's how it's supposed to be in this, in this spot. Roche. Groot fam. I don't know if that's how you pronounce his first name or his last name. I'm going to say Groot fam is how you pronounce, pronounce his last name. G R O O T F A A M. Groot fam. Maybe he hasn't played at all this year. I got a question for you. He's from Paramaribo Suriname. Do you know okay. where that is? Suriname. Isn't that in South America? It is. I had no idea where that was. It's like I, right I above Brazil, that. but close to Venezuela. Yeah. Oh, that's we're, a geography, we're a geography podcast. Maybe. Half. Maybe. Half, half geography podcast. All right, keys to victory in this one. Easier said than done, but you just got to stop Utah State's momentum. I would say get an early start because, like you said, this place is going to be jumping. Anybody in that place that is rooting for Utah is going to be screaming. They're trying to any chance they have to get into March. So get off to a quick start. Use the kind of crowd noise to your advantage and just shut it down early. That was my first point as well. Got to find a way to handle the emotions in this one. We've seen this team is playing some crazy environments, especially this year. This is going to be unique, though, considering the stakes now that are tied to this one. Utah State, the spectrum, it's going to be going berserk. We know what happened last time Nevada went on the road. Utah State's thinking at large bid. You got to keep your emotions in check in this one, especially in the first five, ten minutes, because you know Utah State's going to come out swinging. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And let Jazz orchestrate his symphony. Ooh. He had, a, he had a great game last game. Played all 40 minutes. He was three of five from deep for 10 points. It's that's his that's been his role. Not huge numbers, not high volume, but what he does, he jumps on it. And he produces when he's when he's needed. You talking so we're against gonna, Fresno? Yeah, talking against Fresno. So we're gonna need him in this game. So let him orchestrate. My next one is defend Sam Merrill. You already mentioned it. He's one of the best players in the Mountain West. He's second in the conference in scoring, over twenty points per game, shooting over forty percent from deep. That's third in the Mountain West. He gets to the free throw line a ton, over 150 attempts. That's third in the Mountain West, and he's ninety percent when he gets there. Nevada won the first meeting between these two teams because of its defense, and it's going to have to be strong again, especially on Sam Merrill. My my last one, compete on the glass. Nevada was only out-rebounded 44-43 in, in the first meeting, and I mentioned this is one of the best defensive rebounding teams not only in the country but over the last like decade and a half 
<laughs> like th- this team is just a, a freakish team when it comes to defensive rebounding and impacting shots in- inside the three-point line. This Nevada team has been, I don't want to say disappointing. It's surprising that they're not a little bit more dominant on the glass considering the length and size that they have. Utah State's going to impact shots. Nevada's going to have to find a way to compete on the offensive glass and maybe find a way to get some second chance opportunities. So you know that means uh, Jordan Caroline in this one and Trey Porter, we've talked about it, is finding a way to pick up those two fouls far too early and it just totally impacts Nevada offensively, it seems. He's got to find a way to, to stay in the game and have a presence because if Nevada gets whooped on the glass, I, I think it's going to be a long night because that's a theme in the two losses this year at New Mexico and at San Diego State. Nevada got beat by, I think, 10 rebounds at New Mexico and 9 at San Diego State. So hang around on the glass. What do you got for prediction? 84-82 pack. Two-point win. Real narrow. Nevada is banged up. Nevada is tired. No. Nevada is on the road. No. Utah State seems to be getting stronger at this point. They've won 12 of 13. I don't feel good about this one. Nevada finally has finally has a quad one game. You know they're going to get up for it. I think they're in trouble. Utah State 75, Nevada 71. Just saying. I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. I, I would love to be wrong, but I just it's gonna be it's a tough, tough task coming up on Saturday. Not as tough next Tuesday at Air Force. Tip at eight o'clock on ESPNU. Last true road game of the year. Uh, then obviously Nevada coming home to play San Diego State next week in the regular season finale. First thing to know about the Falcons: twelve and fifteen, seven and eight this year. They got Wyoming on Saturday, so they'll play one more game before then. Two twenty-eight in the RPI. Ken Palm has them at two forty-three. The net has them at two forty. Dave Pilpovich has done an awesome job in, in his eighth year. He's one win away from tying his most ever um, as far as Mountain West wins in, in his eight seasons. Um, so Air Forces has been better than they've been. Uh, still, metrics not, not loving this squad, and that's not necessarily surprising. Not at all. Well, one thing I like to do when it's a program that's not very flashy and doesn't have a great lot of statistics to back up anything, and especially when they don't have the wins to show for it as well, I like to talk about the state of the program. Mm. Went on the website today, last night, was looking at some information. And what it came down to, do you remember, I talked about a promo during football a while back, and I can't remember what it was, but it was something ridiculous, some offer. Speaking of football, our boy Wolfgang was an Air Force, or is an Air Force player. So here it is. Here's where it ties down. And I was thinking of a comparison to Nevada tickets. And this is the one thing that I was, for everybody listening, to make you feel a little more gracious and appreciative of the state of our program. To get into the last game, it was $10 got you into the stadium and a hot dog. $5 for for scouts. I'm not sure what scouts are going there. but And then kids got in for free. Yeah. So you look at that, looking at some Nevada tickets, and then looking at Air Force. Oh my God, I'm glad we're Nevada. But that's the state. <laughs> that's that's the state of their program. Ten dollars to get in and for a ticket and a hot dog. That was the state of the Nevada program very recently. It's been a. Okay. We turn we turn the page. No kidding. Uh, this Air Force team, as much as they've struggled relatively, I mean, it's been a, a good year for 
by Air Force's standards, but in terms of the big picture, this is a team that's 12 and 15 this year. I mean, they're still three games under 500 for the entire season. They are significantly better at home, though. They're averaging 9.5 more points at home than on the road, and they got a plus 11 uh, point scoring margin compared to road compared to road games. So they've been a lot better at home. That said, when the Air Force came to Reno about a month ago, this was the game that Nevada scored 20 points in the first half. Mm-hmm. That that was rough, and obviously figured it out in the second half. That's like the the meme of the dog sitting in the room and everything's on fire, and the dog's just pretending that nothing, you know, nothing's on fine. fire. Yeah. Exactly. This is fine. Uh, I was going to talk from the going to the betting perspective. Anybody who has any plan on betting this Nevada Air Force game, there could not be a team that could be sitting on any better of a fence when it comes to all the spreads and over unders than Air Force. On the season, they are twelve thirteen and one against the spread. At home, they are six six and one. On the road, they are five and five, and then for over unders, they're fourteen and twelve, leaning overs. Wow. So they did, yeah. And they're their best covered. They did cover against Fresno. They're a twelve and a half point dog and only lost by three. But for anybody looking at a betting angle on this team, it pretty much just sounds like you could flip a coin and you'll have just as good as odds if you do some research. Yeah, I need to or, flip uh, Jeff Grammer's coin for his daughter in this one because yeah, that's <laughs> that's right down the middle. Yeah. Uh, this is an Air Force team that plays to the system. They play knowing that they don't have the best athletes. They run the Princeton offense. Their 68 points per game are ninth in the Mountain West. It's a little deceiving because they just slow the game down. They try to limit the possessions. They don't want to get out and run. Their pace is 250th in, in all of college basketball. They want to grind this one down. They want to get looks inside because they're not a good three-point shooting team. Only San Jose State is worse in the Mountain West at shooting the three ball. Uh, who's your favorite player on the other roster? I picked a nice home, Midwestern-grown guy, Abe Keenrad. He is a six-seven freshman forward from Makakita, Iowa, something like that. And it just sound—it just sounds like a guy from Iowa. He played his statistics or his little facts about him. He played AAU ball for the perfect name, the Iowa Barnstormers. Yep. And another little fun fact about him, he was also a National Honor Society member. So that's pretty much what I would have predicted from this guy. I went with 6'4", senior co-captain Purvis Louder. Just an absolutely outstanding name. I don't know what it is with Air Force. They just get these incredible names. But Purvis Louder is my favorite player in the roster. Uh, quick anecdote about him. Apparently, he never forgets his headphones on road trips, which we know is a skill. And there is no worse feeling. The most relatable one is going to the gym. But when you get there and you realize you've got your headphones. So the fact that he apparently never forgets his headphones, I don't know if I believe it. I'm a little skeptical. Yeah. There's nothing worse than getting to where you're like about to leave on a trip, opening your backpack or whatever, and just being like, son of a. Yeah. Keys to victory in this one. Stop Scotty Lavelle. Yeah. On the court, he's their guy. He shoots more than anybody. He scores more than anybody. He has the ball more than anybody. He's the guy. Averaging 32 minutes a game and averaging 16 points as well. I did have to find something negative about him just because I don't want to make him sound like he's that good. He shoot His season average is 62% from the line, so he's awful in that regard. Yeah, that's, you, you would think they'd be a little bit better considering how much of a volume shooter he is. His 16 points per game are 10th. 
in, in the Mountain West. He had scored double figures in 15th straight. A couple weeks ago, though, he played, played Colorado State at home, was held to two points. And in that game, Air Force was held to 53 points at home to Colorado State. And we've seen firsthand how bad Colorado State's defense can be. So I think it's pretty clear. Slow down, Lavelle Scotty. You're going to have a pretty good chance to win this game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then uh, to end it up, this eyes on the end. This is, I mean, it's a long road trip. You're going to be playing at Utah State. Then you're going to at Air Force. You're doing a lot of travel. I would think especially they're going to be eyes forward thinking of the San Diego State game at Lawler. Mm. So keep your mind in Colorado, play the game right and finish, and then come redeem yourself against San Diego State when the time comes. This game screams trap game. Cliche. Cliche exists because they're true. This game screams trap game. Coming off the Utah State game, then you got the San Diego State game. Uh, coming up, it's the last game of the regular season against San Diego State and the Mountain West Tournament, and this team clearly is focused. Must even say, like, look, we're focused on getting to the NCAA Tournament. Like, that is our focus. So it's probably going to be hard to focus in on an Air Force team that's 12-15 and 15 at this point, but they're going to have to do it um, with so much coming up. It's senior night, by the way, against San Diego State. We know how many seniors are on this Nevada roster. Nevada has to find a way to bring the energy for this one. Air Force is not any good, but they're good enough to scare someone if you're lazy. We saw Air Force scare Nevada at home not mm-hmm. that long oh, ago. One, yeah, 100%. No, nobody's safe. Yeah. We saw New Mexico lose to San Jose State the other night. So let, let, let's not count our chickens yet. The, the last point I'll say is control the tempo. As I mentioned, this is an Air Force team that wants to slow it down. Nevada is longer, faster, more athletic, more talented. Don't let Air Force bog this one down. Get out in transition and control the pace, and then Nevada would be fine in this one. What do you got for a prediction? I'm going 76-66. We're pretty close. I got 78-65. So we both got some pretty comfortable Nevada wins. Top squad. Let's jump into some slants now. Uh, games of the weekend. What are a couple games you're looking at? You got Gonzaga at St. Mary's this weekend. I believe that's on Saturday. There is also Kentucky at Tennessee on Saturday, 11 a.m., and I'm looking for my boys to bounce back this weekend. <laughs> you got the Atlanta Legends coming into Phoenix to play the Arizona Hot Shots. I had to eat my own words because you're Yeah, yeah, they did. Your Stallions trampled the Hot Shots. I was so embarrassed. I ripped my jersey up. I burned everything. <laughs> did, did they make payroll this week? That happened? I haven't gotten paid yet. <laughs> Uh, all eyes for me. I'd even mention an alliance game. All eyes for me this week, this weekend. Obviously, if we're looking somewhere elsewhere than, than Nevada, Pac 12, couple big games for Nevada. Big weekend for Arizona State. If that win is going to move up to quad one for Nevada, uh, Arizona State needs to play, play well this weekend. They're 63 in the net. At least they were on Tuesday. They need to get to 50 for that thing to move to quad one. So they still have, they need to move up a little bit. They, they need to get to work here. This weekend they have Oregon net 75. That's on Thursday night. Then Oregon State net 79 on Sunday night at, at five on ESPNU. Um, so both of those at Oregon is going to be close to a quad one game for Arizona State. Oregon State's going to be right there as well. Also on Saturday, Utah at Colorado, Utah 101. In the net, they were on Tuesday. Colorado, 76 in the net. So another borderline quadrant one game for Utah. 
Nevada obviously has the win at Utah. The Utes aren't going to get to 75 in the net to make that quad one, but they could get in the top 100 and, and give Nevada 10 top 100 games this year and would be 10 and 0. Um, assuming what happens Wednesday night against UNOV and then, uh, against Utah State, obviously. So let's go road tripping. Nevada's got Utah State on Saturday. Chad Hartley, we were off last week. Last regular season road tripping of the year. We're going to start in Logan. Then we're going to go to Colorado Springs. So for folks who are making both trips, one of the trips, Chad's got you. All right, Chad, two, two of the more exciting places in the Mountain West. We did Laramie a couple weeks ago, <laughs> backed it up uh this week, we got Logan and Colorado Springs. So we'll start in Logan, a massive game. Basically, as we were talking about before we came on, the de facto Mountain West regular season title game. For those making the trip, uh, what do you got? You know, I'll, I'll say this about, I'll, I'll say this about Utah State and Logan. Um, there, there are two facilities there for basketball and football are among my favorite places to go and watch a game. Um, the, the football stadium there, I think it's called Maverick Stadium now. Um, is just set up there like with the mountains, like, like literally you sit in the press box or you sit in the stands and all you do is like you look up from the game and there's the most beautiful mountains and it's just an awesome setting for a game. <laughs> and then the spectrum, the D Glenn Smith spectrum is just when it, when that thing's packed, like that's an awesome environment. Uh, it's loud and it's, and it's crazy and, the, and their students really get into it. So I think that's, I mean, they're, they're sold out for this game. So that's going to be the environment, uh, yeah. that Nevada's walking into is, is one of the tougher ones. Uh, in the Mountain West, frankly, when it's full, mm-hmm. when it's going to be full. Yep. Um, so, so I really, I really do enjoy Logan, uh, for that aspect of it. Uh, that being said, I really don't have a lot of, a lot of picks for you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there, there's, there's a lot, it's a smaller, smaller town and there's a lot of chain restaurants and that sort of thing. But the one place I do have that has kind of been my go-to over the years, uh, is just a little bar and grill called the Beehive. Okay. Uh, the Beehive bar, bar and grill. And I don't even know the address of it. I mean, it's, it's Logan. You're not going to get too lost looking for it. Um, but, but it's just, just good bar food. Um, and, and, and they, they're open late at night generally, uh, uh, especially on the weekends. Um, and you can't go wrong there. So the beehive is my place in Logan. And if anybody out there in Wolfpack land has suggestions for me, uh, please shoot them my way on Twitter or let me know. Uh, cause we go back there for football this year and, and yeah. I'd like, like to check out a new spot. I didn't figure there'd be a ton of options. I knew there weren't going to be a lot of beer options in Utah. So at least the beer hive's got that. Or beehive. The, the, the beehive, yes, the beehive. does have that. And, uh, yeah, so, so a decent, a decent bar and, and more, but more importantly, uh, just, just good food options, good comfort food and, and bar food and, and you won't go wrong at the beehive. Sure. And then next week, uh, to Colorado Springs to play Air Force. What do you got for people making that trip? Colorado Springs is a cool town there, uh, down south of Denver. Um, I've got a couple of food recommendations for you, but if you're going to the game, take some time and go actually visit the Air Force Academy. Uh, you're talking about one of the largest campuses of higher education, uh, in the country. I mean, it's a sprawling thing there in the front range. And if you haven't been there, go take a tour. Like it, it's a, it's a super neat place and, and there's a lot to see there. And, and I highly recommend that you just take some time and, and tour that campus and, and check out the Air Force Academy. In terms of food, uh, I actually have two barbecue joints, uh, are my go-tos in, uh, Colorado Springs. One is Rudy's Country Store, and they're, they're a small chain through the, through the Southwest. You can find them in New Mexico and Texas as well, but Rudy's Country Store does super good barbecue. And then, uh, my favorite place there is a, uh, is a Southern barbecue joint called Front Range Barbecue. Um, and they often have live music and they have a good bar and a good, good eclectic tap list. Uh, mm-hmm. so for the beer lovers out there, you can find a lot of different things there. 
but Front Range Barbecue is my go-to joint in Colorado Springs. Cool. And then do you have a, a beer spot or is beer wrapped up into, into those? Uh, the, you'll, you'll find a lot of craft beer throughout, uh, from all over Colorado in Colorado Springs. Sure. Uh, the one that's a, the one that's a good joint, uh, there in the Springs is, uh, uh, Cerberus Brewing and they're right off of downtown. C-E-R-B-E-R-U-S, I believe is how it's spelled. Uh, and, and that's a good, you, you, you won't go wrong there if you, if you check it out. Cool. All right, Chad. Uh, this is sort of the end of, of road tripping for us with, we're coming back down to Vegas and we got a couple things for the listeners and then assuming well, we'll see where Nevada goes in March, but we're hoping to bring it back for the NCAA tournament, and uh, we'll talk to you then. Yeah, looking forward to it. Thanks, man. Thanks to Chad for taking us road trip, and that's been a really fun slant this year. Getting feedback from you guys has been awesome. Uh, we've had an absolute blast doing that one. We'll do the baseball slant now, and man, what a start it's been for TJ Bruce and the Nevada baseball team. Nevada went to Long Beach State last weekend and swept the dirtbags. Now six and one out of the gate. How about that? Uh, we said this is going to be a fun year for Nevada, and the start, at least, has validated that. And as we all enjoy now, Nevada's March to March. It's also time for baseball and softball. Softball is off to a six and five start. Uh, both have started their seasons and will kick off their exciting home portion of the schedules. Softball, March 15th against Utah State. Nevada this weekend. They had to move that thing up because it's going to snow in Pullman. It's going to snow in Reno, too, it looks like, maybe on Saturday. Uh, the pack needs your support, so get your season tickets, and we will see you at Piccoli and Hickson Park soon. Call 775-348-PACK or visit NevadaWolfPack.com today. So the baseball team, I mentioned the sweep at Long Beach State. They really had to squeeze those ones out, but wins are wins. one nothing win on Friday night. The story in that one was Ryan freaking Anderson, the Spanish Springs grad. Seven innings pitched, zero hits. 11 strikeouts, one of the best starts in Nevada baseball history, it's not even hyperbole, was of course named the Mountain West Pitcher of the Week. Team actually took a no-no to the ninth, and it sounds like that would have been the first no-hitter in Nevada baseball history, and they lost it with an infield single to lead that inning off. But a nice start to the weekend. They won 5-3 on Saturday, then 3-2 on Sunday. The pitching staff to this point has been incredible. The team's got a 2.43 ERA holding teams to 184, batting, 53 strikeouts, 28 bases on balls. Uh, they already have three one-run wins. Offense is leaving a lot of guys on base right now, but for staff to hold in college to have a 2.43 ERA after seven games really is ridiculous. And they were supposed to play four at Wazoo this weekend, as you mentioned. It's going to snow in Pullman. It's not supposed to get above 30 all weekend. That would have been a fun weekend. Oh, my gosh. Uh, so change to three games here in Reno. Cougs are off to a two and six start. They play Thursday, Friday, Saturday. All games are at one. As I mentioned, snow in the forecast for Reno on Saturday, it looks like. Either way, it's going to be a cold weekend, but a good opportunity. Nice little surprise for folks to get out and, and see this team. We think is going to be a, a really fun year for Nevada. All right, let's jump into social. Some good questions from you guys again this week. Thank you to every single one of you who wrote us questions, whether it was on Twitter or on Instagram. We'll start on Twitter. Uh, just when we're ready to kick San Jose State out of the Mountain West, they go and beat the Lobos. That was really was a crazy game on Tuesday night. Just absolutely painful for New Mexico. Shall we kick New Mexico out of the league instead? <laughs> you got thoughts on this one? Kick everybody out. 
<laughs> once, it, once it's the Nevada conference, I'll be happy. I'm never satisfied. <laughs> New Mexico, as we were talking about with Jeff Grammer, has one of the most, lo- most loyal fan bases in all of college basketball. I mean, they, they show up for that team. So kicking New Mexico out would be a massive, massive problem for the Mountain West. <laughs> but San Jose State now, even with the win, they're 4 and 23, they're 1 and 14, they're 0 and 13 away from home. The announced attendance of that game was 2053 for San Jose Ugh. State. They got to go. That question and you know if and you know if they got pinned on them, they would just be like, "But oh, we beat Fresno." <laughs> you mean New Mexico? Or, Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, we beat New Mexico. Yeah, so the announced attendance was 2053. We know how this works now. There wasn't 2,000 people in the building. There are more people at high school basketball games in Reno than than there were at that game. San Jose State's got to go. We talked about that with Jeff Grammer a little bit. By the way, that question was from Nevada on the hunt. Uh, On Instagram, Bradley, one of the staples now asking us questions over there. How long will the agony of defeat rage in your hearts over the Loyola Chicago game? Forever. Voice of Squints, forever. Until Sister Jean dies, that's graphic. After the Rockies run dry of silver bullets, that's never going to happen. Or D, still not talking about it. What are your thoughts there? I'm still not talking about it. We've, we've already established we're still not talking about it. If we are going to talk about it, which we're not, I would say truthfully that's not the most painful loss, even in most recent memory, because it felt like Nevada was playing with house money. The comeback against Texas, what they did in overtime, and then against Cincinnati, obviously. I mean, at, at that point, it was like, we're here. Holy cow. I still re- I still relive that Cincinnati game sometimes in my dreams, and I wake up, and I think it's that day. <laughs> that Josh Hall put in the shop, and like, no, it's way too much time. What are we doing? But I'm super excited. And then Cincinnati, their last possession was just an absolute mess. Uh, man, what a what a fun, fun memory. And, and- Cumberland, that idiot. Wasn't that guy's <laughs> name? Cumberland? Yeah, Cumberland. Still there. Uh, Bradley followed up with also what the hell happened to your left eye? (laughs) So it happens occasionally. Sometimes I'm doing video. Uh, my left eyelid, I get like, it just doesn't like open all the way. I don't want to say it's like a lazy eye. We call it the shout eye because you get it too. I get it with my right eye. Oh, it's your right eye where it happens. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sometimes it happens with the left eye. I call it the shout eye. Uh, no idea what it is, how it started, but, uh, it's there. I own it. If you guys want to check out the yeah. video, you can you can see it. Uh, fake Matt Mummy. Nevada has had a historic season so far. Why aren't Wolfpack fans better at parking and driving in and out of the parking garage after games? So valid. <laughs> I mean, so valid. It's certainly not Nevada fans. This is everywhere. The, the nice thing about when I covered Nevada up in Reno, you have to go to the press conference after, then you write your story, and you, when you leave, everyone's gone already. So it's something I never had to deal with. But I know there are some horror stories. Uh, when I went to the UNLV game earlier this year, it took me almost an hour to go from getting into my car to getting home, and I live seven miles from Thomas and Mac. It's a, it's a nightmare. I refuse to park. I refuse to park in that parking garage. I'll, I'll street park a mile away, and by the time <laughs> I walk to my car, I'll still get home before a lot of people park in the garage. Ty asks, "Do you guys see the possibility of Nevada getting an indoor practice field in the next couple years?" So I think the timing of this question is, is kind of fun just because the golf team got an indoor practice facility at Somerset. Did you see that thing? I did see it. That's sweet. That's so sweet. That's That thing is sick. That's awesome. As far as Nevada getting one for football, 
I've talked to Doug Newth about this a couple times. Each time it's we're we're not really close. Someone's gonna have to step up in a big way to make that happen. Someone uh we know a certain Nevada alum just got paid. Um, so it'd be nice if maybe Cap could step up and, and be the person for that, or, or Brandon Marshall, or maybe Virgil Green. I don't know if Virgil Green makes enough to, for that kind of donation, but Nevada's gonna need someone to step up in a big way. Maybe Tesla. Maybe they can I step might, up. I might bump my uh, strength in the pack donations from seven seventy five to fourteen fifty. Ooh, we'll get there us there. <laughs> That'll get us home. Or, or we can just all the the Reno slant payroll money. We'll get that done here in a couple months. Yeah, that'll be uh, <laughs> endless. Uh, Marcus asks, uh, you guys, you wake up in the morning and start going through your notifications and you eventually make it to your email where without fail, someone has sent you some nonsense email you don't care about, but somehow it keeps making it through the junk filter. Who is your biggest culprit? Fake Matt Mummy. <laughs> hmm. I'd have to think about that one. Fake Matt Mummy, you know I got nothing for love for you. Um, there's a few of you guys who email us on some sort of routine basis. I love hearing from you guys. I, I truthfully would never be upset about hearing from you guys. That was the mission of the show. Yes, I went back and listened to episode one last week. We talked about that. And that was one of the things we talked about, how important it was to engage with you guys. And it, that's starting to come to fruition. So if you guys have thoughts, shoot us an email. You can certainly find us on Twitter or Instagram, but email is another way to the Reno slant at gmail.com. Random Reno. I'll let you start. Numerous faults exist throughout the region. Most of them are normal faults associated with the uplift of various mountain ranges, including the Sierra Nevada. My question for you, what type of fault is classified as a normal fault? So we're a half geography podcast. We're certainly not a geology podcast. A tectonic, tectonic plate. I remember that one. Yes. Is it tectonic but, plate? No. Damn no, it. I'm talking about what type, the motion is oh, a vertical know. motion. That's what made the mountain so big. So the region, there's not, there's also where they like sit on top of one another and kind of rub. Oh. But the Sierra Nevadas is known for the normal faults for everybody listening. It is a vertical motion. That's what created these huge mountains we have. Oh, I, I was thinking of some name or something vertical. I'll give you a, no, we don't do participation trophies. What's your, <laughs> what's, what's your, what's your random reno? I'm, actually really excited about my random Reno this week. I laughed when I found it. So we know that Reno is responsible for many, many things. Blue jeans, the Ferris wheel, the roller coaster, uh, the first chimpanzee that can do sign language, um, a bunch of trees, a huge Water. skate park, uh, a river that goes the wrong direction. <laughs> uh, this one was great, though. Reno was home to... The longest cat in the world. <laughs> the longest cat. Longest cat? <laughs> Household domestic cat. Stewie was 48 and a half inches long when he died. What? Over four feet long. I saw a picture Are of this you... thing. It looked like a jump rope with fur. It was <laughs> <laughs> 48 and a half inches long this thing was. I think I had to scare all the neighborhood kids uh, walking it, around. It died in 2013, was eight years old, had cancer. The type of cat was a Maine Coon. It looked like, it looked like a pretty cool cat. And I guess the breed of the cat is known as the gentle giants of the cat world. And Stewie Jeez. was pretty special. Not only was he the longest cat in the world, 
He had the longest cat tail in the world. I couldn't find the length on that thing. Uh, but suck it, everyone else. Longest cat in the world. Reno's got dibs. I don't know who has it now. Jesus. <laughs> oh, also last week, tall, tallest rock wall in the world. Look at Reno. Reno on the map. I love it. <laughs> and that is our show this week. A little bit longer than normal because it was a great conversation with Jeff. So we appreciate all of you guys for sticking it out with us. Thank you to every single one of you for listening week in, week out. We're grateful for you all. Thank you to Jeff Grammer of the Albuquerque Journal for coming on. Thank you to Chad Hartley for taking us road tripping. You can follow us individually on Twitter, at Shaup Nathan and at Shaup Adam. You can follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram, at the Reno Slant. Quick update, Twitter got getting close to 300. Instagram we talked about last week. We wanted to get to 150. We got there. So to you guys who followed us, Thank you. You are the, you are the very best. And I mean that sincerely. Tip on Saturday at Utah State, 5.30 p.m. Massive, massive game. Tip on Tuesday at Air Force, 8 o'clock. Our favorite start time. At least it's on a Tuesday, not on a podcast recording day. And then after that, only one more regular season game. Where did this season go? I'm excited and sad all in one. Have a great, great weekend, you guys. Go Pack. Thanks for listening to the Reno Slant, the podcast for Northern Nevada sports fans. Until next time, and we're still not talking about the Loyalist Chicago tournament game.